Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Word of God for our special consideration this Sunday is our second lesson, James 4, 7 through 10. We read again, So submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded people. Lament, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be changed into mourning and your joy into gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. This is the word of the Lord. Dear friends in Christ, please imagine in your mind's eye a fence, not a thin chain link or a flimsy decorative one, but a solid, substantial one that that doesn't just mark a border, but clearly and effectively separates what's on one side from the other. In this case, separating the horses from two different farms. Sitting astride the fence is a friend of yours who loves to ride. On your side of the fence is clean, dry pasture and horses grazing happily on the grass. On the other side are a variety of different horses, all sleek and strong-looking, but you happen to know that they are mostly untrained and many are ill-tempered. While some people have succeeded in riding them for a while, In the end, everyone who has gotten on one of them has ended up in the dirt, or worse. And that's the other thing about that side of the fence. It's not fine pasture, but a mixture of the mud and muck that horses produce. So you call out to your friend and ask him what he's doing. He says, I want to go for a ride. You ask, So, why are you just sitting there? And he answers, Well, I know the horses on your side, where you are, are the ones that I'm supposed to ride, and I know that they're safe and friendly, but man, the ones on this other side here, they really look cool. (laughs) It would be so exciting to finally ride one. I just can't seem to decide. So what do you tell your friend? Get off the fence. And it's clear which side he should come down on. But follow that same fence down a few hundred, few more hundred yards where it borders on the farm's corral. Your little seven-year-old cousin is standing on the fence there with a, a beautiful Appaloosa a few feet away and a clearly frustrated farmhand next to it. And you ask, Janie, what's going on? She says, I want to ride this horse. And Jimmy keeps telling me he needs to lift me up to get me into the saddle, but I don't want his help. I want to do it myself. So I climbed up here. She starts to cry, but I can't reach. As she says this, she she stretches out again toward, toward the horse, and you can see that she is neither high enough nor close enough. She almost falls but she catches herself at the last moment and starts crying again. With a sympathetic look at Jimmy, you say, Janie, you know, 
I can see exactly what you have to do if you really want to ride that horse. What? she asks through her tears. Get off the fence. Now James here isn't writing about horses, though he does actually mention them elsewhere in his letter. But his message for Christians in these few verses is is the same. Get off the fence. He addresses two problems that are more closely related than than most people would think. The first is is thinking and, and living as though you can safely and comfortably keep one foot in the kingdom of God's grace and the other in the kingdom of the flesh. That you can be a believer, yet still indulge your sinful inclinations and pursue the things of the world. And the second problem is thinking and living as though spiritual self-reliance is a Christian virtue. That, That while he may give some kind of help along the way, getting to God and glory is an I can do it myself endeavor. And those, though these may sound like very different problems, they are solved by the same course of action. Committing and recommitting yourself, following Christ and serving the Lord and no one and nothing else. Getting off the fence is not merely an option or a good idea. It's not even just important. It is necessary. It is necessary because of who we are. Because of who we were, who we are because of Christ, and what we never want to be again. Paul tells us what we were by nature in Ephesians 2. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked when you followed the ways of this present world. You are following the ruler of the domain of the air, the spirit now at work in the people who disobey. Formerly, we all lived among them in the passions of our sinful flesh as we carried out the desires of the sinful flesh and its thoughts. Like all the others, we were by nature objects of God's wrath. Now, of course, another part of that sinful corruption that is ours as an inheritance from our parents all the way back to Adam and Eve is that the last thing we want to admit about ourselves is that we are sinful and in need of salvation. But eventually, the Holy Spirit breaks through and uses the law to convince us of what God has always seen and said so clearly about us. We bow down to idols of success and acceptance. We despise His Word and will. We disobey and disrespect those He has placed in authority over us. We hurt and harm others in their bodies and souls. We take what has not been given to us and we lie or even tell the truth about others with ill intent. And for every such sin, and for even one single sin. We deserve the opposite of any boy that the world or our flesh might give us. We have earned ourselves the wrath of God, which means death and damnation, a place with the devil in hell. But God desires something different. 
Though He is angry with our sin, He turns it away for His Son's sake. Jesus came to earth as the embodiment of the Father's unmerited and immeasurable love for us rebellious sinners. And because of that amazing grace, Christ gave His life in exchange for ours. He suffered every punishment, endured the torment of hell, and died the death we deserved for our disobedience. It cost us nothing, but it cost Him everything. And such a costly gift provides us not with mere spiritual trinkets or or a, a helping hand. It gives us forgiveness for each and every one of our sins. Gives us deliverance from death and from the devil. Gives us eternal life, a, a place in God's family today and in paradise tomorrow. We are not what we used to be once we believe. Once we put our trust in Jesus for our salvation. Again, as Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, indeed, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance so that we would walk in them. This is who and what we are because of Christ. But what happens when you say, that's great! I want that! But I also want this other thing. What happens when you think, you know, it, it, it's great. It, it, it's great that He saved me, but let me add these works of my own because I really like the way that feels. What happens when you decide, I'm going to have my grace and evil too? Nothing good happens. Because that is taking the grace of God and tossing it into the mud and the muck. It's telling Jesus that while you, you appreciate His dying on the cross and everything, you have ideas of your own. It's not just putting your faith at risk, it's throwing it out the window and your salvation along with it. You cannot sit on the fence like that. There is no grace and. It can only be grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. Now certainly, the culture around us tells us Christians that we should be comfortable on the fence that if we're not going to go all the way and, and, and choose the other side. That's, that's the smart way to do it, we are told. Play things down the middle. Hedge your bets. Keep a, a foot in both camps. Identify both as a self-made person of the modern day and as a, a grace-saved follower of Christ and get the best of both worlds. And of course, our sinful natures gladly cooperate with this. In fact, they, they inspire it. Because anything that dilutes the influence of God's will and power is a win for sin and a loss for holiness and heaven. But we know better because we have God's Word. 
In fact, we are better because grace and the gospel have made us new creatures in Christ, God's workmanship. And this means that we choose better, as James encourages us. Rather than exalt ourselves and our own judgment above the Lord's and Scripture's, we submit ourselves to God and His authority in all areas of our lives. Rather than listen to and cooperate with the devil, we resist him. We tell him to get lost. And we know that when we do, as as pesky and threatening as he may seem, he will flee from us. Rather than avoid God and resist his will and the guidance he gives us in the word, we will come near to him in repentance, love, thanks, and trust. And unlike the devil, he will come near to us. And that's all good. Rather than get our hands dirty with sin, we will choose to cleanse them with repentance. Rather than pretend that we can at the same time harbor sinful thoughts and desires alongside devotion to the Lord, we will set those filthy things aside. We will turn away from them and and purify our hearts so that they can be holy and, and attuned with our Savior's heart and mind in all things. Rather than making excuses for giving in to temptations, rather than thinking that since we cannot avoid it, our sin and guilt are no big deal, we will lament, mourn, and weep over it all understanding how these things grieve the Lord who saved us. Rather than think that our lives are supposed to be devoted to pleasure, that they should be always filled with laughter and joy, and that that is what we should pursue, we will instead recognize that life as Christians, life under the cross involves mourning and gloom just as it did for Jesus, our Savior. And rather than hold ourselves up with unmerited pride, thinking that we know better and can do it ourselves and climb up to glory on our own, we will humble ourselves before the Lord, admitting that we are incapable and unqualified without Him. And He, He, will lift us up. Now what it means to get off the fence will be different for each of us and different at different times in a Christian's life. Maybe today it's time to to quit thinking in terms of what's the minimum number of times I can come to worship and still be good enough so that I can maximize the Sundays I spend on brunches and outings and sports and catching up on sleep. Perhaps it's time to make that choice between believing what the Bible says and believing what the culture or the the scientific community or your best friends tell you is more reasonable, pleasurable, respectable, or woke. Maybe it's time to accept that God actually has something to say through His Word and His messengers in the church about those 
lifestyle choices that you've made and justified as nobody's business but my own. Perhaps it's something to do with sex or sexuality, with money or life issues or your career or entertainment, how you think about or treat other people, about politics or pornography. Chances are you, you, you won't have to work too hard to identify what it is because it's the thing that you've been trying not to think about at all. So get off the fence. Clear your head of all the wrong ideas and become single-minded in submitting to the Lord. And despite what your sinful nature tells you about how that won't be any fun or won't be being true to yourself, everything will be better when you do so. Because you will be setting aside what you can do in your power and exchanging it for what God can do and wants to do for you in His almighty power. You have His word on it. He will lift you up. And if you have any fears or guilt or misgivings from appreciating just how much muck you have picked up from the other side of the fence, remember the example of the sons in the parable today. The younger son, well, he went all the way over the fence and wallowed in that muck, thinking that that, that life was better than life with his father. The older son, he climbed up high on the fence, focusing on his, his own merit and, and works and forgetting about love, thinking that the way to gain his father's favor was through his working, his striving, his climbing. But with both sons, the father was patient and loving, waiting, watching, waiting, always ready to receive them when they returned, when they would come to stay on his side where all his love was. Tragically, the older son, who would not humble himself, was not restored and remained lost to the father. But the younger son, the one who had gone so far the wrong direction, the younger son, who submitted himself and repented of his errors and unfaithfulness, that son the father forgave and restored richly, far beyond any expectation or hope. And that's the way our Heavenly Father is with us as well. He wants us on His side of the fence. And He freely and richly forgives us when we, we stray to the other side or simply spend too much time straddling it, pretending life is good with one foot on the other side. And since we know He will welcome us home, that He is eager to forgive the repentant sinner, we give up our arrogance, our disobedience, and our double-mindedness because we know who we are in Christ. And we love the One who saved us and changed us and has given us every blessing. You know, the more we think about it, the more uncomfortable we find any attempt to remain there sitting on that fence. We are God's people. The Father's children. We are saved by the blood of Christ His Son.
Though He was angry with us, His anger has turned away and He comforts us. Surely God is our salvation. We will trust Him and not be afraid because Yah, the Lord, is our strength and our song. and He has become our salvation. So yeah, we get off the fence. Amen. Please rise. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.